there's someone you should meet. Welcome in, and I am excited you're listening today because there is someone you should meet. When I entered college, my guest today was QB1 for my beloved Texas A&M Aggies. And if you were to rank the toughest quarterbacks to ever don the maroon and white uniform, this man would undoubtedly be towards the top, if not number one. Uh, for example, he led the team to a three-overtime victory over Fresno State in a 100-degree heat as students were passing out in the stands from heat exhaustion, um, I was there and I was almost one of those um, against the University of Nebraska. My guest had 35 rushing attempts, uh, which for a quarterback is just insane unless you're like on on the University of Navy or Army. And he was receiving IV fluids by the end of the game and still just powered through. And then on top of all that, my guest vomits mid-game and still leads the Ags to a road victory over rival Texas, where he became the author of what us Aggie fans know as simply the drive, but probably better yet, most importantly, to pay tribute to the late, great Bobby Bowden. My guest was the winner of the 2009 Bobby Bowden Athlete of the Year Award, as well as an Aggie Heart Award recipient. Recipient After careers in the NFL and the CFL, my guest currently is principal and lead financial planner for Paragon Financial Advisors and College Station. So if you uh, want to, to have money uh, in later age, this is the guy to call. And he is also a football analyst for TexEggs. I think you know that site. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the pride of Burnett, Texas, Mr. Stephen McGee. Stephen, thank you. Thank you again. <laughs> Man, being on. I, I'm going to have to send you a heck of a Christmas gift for that introduction. That was uh, probably the most <laughs> nice things I've ever had said to me in one page worth of reading. Normally, <laughs> the worst quarterback. I I had to mother up this guy up and down. My living room <laughs> he was so bad. He threw interceptions. He fumbled. He cost us this game. Oh, I can't believe I sat in that heat of the Fresno State game, putting up with that terrible form of football. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that game will just uh, – it's still come Every now and then it'll pop up just like a flat flashback or something. And it's – yeah, I can remember uh, there's the image of the students running from one side of the stands <laughs> um, to the other dur- during the overtime. And that's the truth. I was not exaggerating. People were passing out. And having to leave the stadium for exhaustion, y'all are in pad, y'all are in pads. Let alone playing, <laughs> playing a three overtime game. What what's going what's going through the sidelines during that? Yeah. Is it just like we got to survive, and get out of here? What was going on? Well, yeah, and we got a fortunate benefit of a pretty dicey call that game, if I, if memory serves me correctly, mm-hmm. and uh, fortunate to get out with the win. But it was as hot as Kyle Field can possibly be. I, I'll never forget it. And to your point, yeah, the, the fans would move from one end when the team would switch at overtime one to overtime two in the other end zone. They would go to the other end. And it just really sums up Kyle Field, the student body. It, that's that's what it's all about. They bring so much spirit and life to the games. And they add so much more to the memory bank than just a football game. And so uh, that's, that's a really, really special memory. You got to know some of those guys at Fresno State post-college career and I think we both had a lot of memories and 
they like to laugh about the 300 pound running back we had. And um, as Aggie fans know, J train. And it was, uh, it was definitely a, a really neat, neat experience. Yep. We, uh, uh, you're, you're, you're harping on the, the intro and feedback you've learned, but you know, now with the news of Texas now joining A&M and the SEC, you still stand as the last quarterback with back-to-back victories over te- over Texas. So that's what I remember most, most <laughs> fondly. So, uh, but yeah, that's kind of the, the hot topic go- going on. With that, with that news, have you looked much into the back and forth between Aggie and Longhorn fans um, on social media or what is kind of your viewpoint on, on yeah, the, I- uh, you know, I get little bits and pieces through my involvement with Texag. So I hear some of the rumblings from them. I don't keep up as much with it. My, my day-to-day kind of keeps me uh, off those forums and whatnot, which is probably a good thing. But, <laughs> you agree. know, I, at the end of the day, it's a great move for the SEC. You're bringing in the most valuable college sports franchise with the largest sports budget. So, it, yeah, that – that's going to boost the bottom line for the SEC. It's going to make the TV contract even that much better. And then Oklahoma um, has been the most successful program in, in the Big 12. So you get the most valuable team, and then you also get the team that's won and competed in um, the college football playoff for a good number of the years it's been around. So you get the rich histories of both programs. Yeah, does it – the little bit of a snub that they were able to get in without involving us in the process, yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're they're a very valuable franchise, and and so they've earned that right, I guess. At the end of the day, though, as an Aggie fan, it all comes down to winning football games, and it's the Clemson DNA. I, th- I feel like we are very similar to Clemson in a lot of aspects, uh, except that we, I think, are on the trajectory to get into that conversation of some of the best programs. But the key ingredient there is winning. And so as long as we control what happens on that football field, the rest will take care of itself. We have an unlimited amount of resources. Uh, We're not a poor program by any stretch of the imagination. We're going to have the ability to compete in NIL, facility wars, et cetera. So all that stuff is taken care of. We need to win. We got the guy now to be able to win. We need to keep Jimbo happy. We need to give him all the resources in order to feel like he can compete on the field and, and off the field via recruiting. And that's, changing very rapidly and so as long as we keep him happy i feel like we're in a good position there's been you know theorizing and chatter about what the sec will look like as far as divisions or now you know there's talks of a possible you know pod set up you know four you know 14 pod or yeah 14 pods or so um for you do you have any hopes for what the new sec will look like as it adjusts to the two additions mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that's interesting. I, I don't know if I'm in favor. Some parts of the pod program are appealing, being that you get to, to play because there'd be so many teams, you get to cross over and play one from each of the other sub-conferences. So theoretically, I guess you would play, if a player was at AM for four years, he would get a chance to play all the programs. I would I think that would be how that would work. But I also like the, the two division uh, with a clear – West and East champion playing in the championship game. That that's pretty appealing to me. Uh, I don't know at the end of the day what they're going to do, what they decide, but at the end of the day, there's no doubt that it's going to be the premier football conference. Everyone already knew that, but 
there's no debate now. And so I think they're gonna, there's going to be a con continued rush and consolidation of the top football programs to try to get in the SEC to capture some of that, uh, you know, media contract dollars via the TV contract and be able to compete in recruiting. So I think there's more probably to come, and I don't know what the eventual solution will be. Now, now that the dust has settled, I think now it's starting to go. First, it was kind of the craziness of just the news and the unexpectedness of it all. But now I feel like it's settled now into excitement that this rivalry is now is now back. And which in recent years, I was in full support of just bringing back the rivalry just so Twitter arguments could stop because it was getting so so exhaustive with all the transitive property um, our arguments and like which win or loss is stronger than yeah. the other. So uh, that will be just a relief in itself to finally just have it settle on the field and just get to enjoy the rivalry for, for what it is, which is just has such a great, great history and such great memories behind it. Did you expect, you know, you're at the tail, you're at the tail end of the, of the rivalry before, you know, the SEC move when that news came out and now thinking about it now, did you expect it to return this soon or were you kind of like, it's going to be a while before cooler heads prevail and this game gets back yeah, underway? I was kind of under the thinking that it would take some more time for that to happen. Um, especially knowing that the SEC is pretty loaded. And so those non-conference games are generally more of a cupcake walk, but who would have thought that they would be in the SEC, especially this quickly. So uh, I was pretty surprised and it makes sense certainly, but I guess more than anything surprised that they humbled themselves enough to at least backhandedly admit that they weren't in the best football conference and that A&M did make the right move over a decade ago. And um, they, they want some of the sauce that A&M is part of now. And so to their credit, I guess, I mean, they, they want to have the best brand. You got to have the best brand, the best conference. And so I think now they're, they're able to do that. Indeed. So I mentioned the intro back-to-back -back victories uh, over your rival. And, uh, and I mentioned that even during, during uh, that famous day where probably your most famous image, you know, of the drive and scoring, scoring that touchdown. But yeah. Before that, uh, you know, you were feeling a little, whether it be under the weather from the game, game or what have you, uh, there was some things uh, projectiled <laughs> during that. I remember. Do you have advice for fellow athletes if they are not feeling so well during during competition? How how to persevere <laughs> through that? Yeah, uh, try to have a, a good breakfast. Don't just drink <laughs> and when you when you do throw up, I don't ever recommend throwing up on your coach's shoes because they don't look at it kindly, especially when they care about their appearance as much as Fran did. So those, those are, that's my, my advice for the day. I've, I've learned, uh, learned the hard way. I was always a guy that struggled to eat pregame because I would get pretty anxious. And so uh, on those particular days, it didn't, didn't pay off well for me because it, empty stomach, taking hits in the, in the stomach and oof, yeah, it was bad. Were you, uh, so when that's going on or when you're like in the huddle or in the game, is adrenaline taking over and you're not feeling it anymore? Or you're like, man, I'm, I'm struggling right now, but I got to get, I got to get through this somehow. What's going on? Yeah. There, there are very few moments that I remember distinctly where I was 
in some sort of pain to where it was a part of my thinking process. Most of the time you're just feeling that pain a day later um, after all the, the excitement wears off. And so to answer your question, there were a couple moments when, when I did, I, I took one shot against Texas tech that kind of threw me a little dizzy and everything kind of went gray for a little bit. And a couple of my teammates noticed in my play calls that I was, was missing some things. Um, and then it kind of went away, but then tearing my shoulder against Nebraska and that 35 carry game, um, I vividly remember my shoulder popping, tore my labrum. Um, and the guy, the linebacker that tackled me was hurt it as well. And I remember him talking smack and, and he was like, you know, something to the fact I, I, I told you not to keep running the ball. And of course I didn't let him know I was hurt, but uh, it definitely hurt bad that day. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of, I feel like when I talk to most, I talk to most fans about, about that era and your time as quarterback, your, your toughness and resiliency um, is usually one of the top things that that comes up because you just, you always, you always delivered the hit on each, each run uh, weren't, weren't one to slide um, on most, on most, most plays and just to, and then in the, in the offense uh, that kind of uh, required you to kind of take, take on that role as more, as more of a runner. I want to rewind a little bit back to your time at, at Burnett because you were set it, setting, pa- setting passing records. Yeah. Passing, passing records both in yards and touchdowns. We we're talking about Texas, you know, yeah. Jordan Shipley on the sidelines Did that same mentality did that um, was that always kind of the way you played, you know, from being little or did that develop during, during your time at Burnett? What was the, yeah, kind of what was your mentality, I guess, you know, the early yeah, days at 3A football? I think the mentality always for me, for me was more of a competitive, I want to do whatever it takes to win. Uh, at at Burnett, I wasn't required to run the option. I just sat in the pocket and got to throw all game. And so I was more of a, prima donna quarterback, you know, didn't take any hits, didn't really deliver any hits. And that was just, but that was our mantra. That's what we did. That's what helped us win football games. At AM, I was asked to do something different. And Fran had always preached and harped on us and really asked his quarterback to be the toughest guy on the team. And so that's just kind of how that mentality would bred into me, I guess, uh, via the coach. And so you know, we ran the option and he wanted me uh, at times to be the instigator and to get guys around me fired up. And so that's, that's what I did. Cause that was what was asked of me to, to try to win football games. At Bernie, you're a two-time All-State making state, uh, making state title games, but not as many people know that you're also an all district basketball player. So I'm curious to know what were, uh, do you have a, uh, a favorite game on, uh, on the basketball court that you remember fondly or a favorite moment? Uh, you know, I really only played basketball as my dad was the head coach and I played my freshman year and my sophomore year, my junior year, I was hurt because of football. And then my senior year, I was at A&M. So I really didn't get much of a high school basketball career to speak of, but yeah, I, I remember my sophomore year, we were playing a team and they tried to pick on Jordan and I slammed the kid against the, you know, underneath the basketball hoop, they have the like pads. Mm-hmm. He tried to like foul him really aggressively. And I came up behind and slammed him into the, into the plastic wall. And I essentially told him not, not in this house. 
my dad was the coach. And so I got benched immediately and I couldn't play again until I had to do all this running after practice. And so that was probably my most vivid basketball memory. And, uh, well, I have other ones too that are just like funny side stories because my dad was the coach. And so we like to make fun of him. And there were some, some good memories there, like on the bus or like during timeouts. But yeah, I think from on the court, that would be, be one that I remember more distinctly. Was it difficult or easy for you to have, have your dad as the head coach? Yeah, it was difficult at times. Uh, my dad is, he knows how to push my buttons and can be pretty strong willed himself. And so my stepmom had to be the one to kind of pull us apart at times. We were remained, always were very competitive. And I think about seventh grade, I was able to compete against him in basketball one-on-one, you know, compete physically because um, he would always just back me down and, and shoot layups or, you know, horse, he was actually a really good basketball player in high school. And so he would always beat me in horse and it frustrated me. But then about seventh grade, I got to where I could compete against them. And so we had some uh, family vacations that evolved. My dad and I literally almost getting into a fight on a basketball court playing one-on-one basketball. And so there's, you know, at times there's struggles as an athlete when your dad is a coach and always around and, he didn't care about wins and losses. He cared about attitude and effort. And so if he ever felt like in a track meet, I wasn't running to my best ability, then he was going to make sure I found out about it when I got home. And so, you know, there's those struggles, but I think at the end of the day, it does make you better as a person and as an athlete. I think it gave me a a different desire, uh, different level of focus. And I think some of that drive you saw, when I was at A&M uh, and the commitment to whatever was asked of me to do, even if I didn't agree with it, that came from being a coach's kid. Do you, uh, do you remember during that time when, when it came to recruiting, when it started really picking up for you as far as starting to get offers from schools? Yeah. Um, at the start of my sophomore year, coach Slocum offered me at A&M. He was my first scholarship offer. Um, one of the old AM coaches lived in, at, uh, in Marble Falls at the time and sent him my first preseason game um, when we played Fredericksburg my sophomore year. And that was kind of where it all took off from there. After my sophomore year, um, going to camps and stuff, that's when at the start of my junior year, when everybody offered me. So Texas, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Georgia, um, all the schools that I essentially ever wanted to go to, I had the had offers and by the by the end of my junior year I committed and so that way my senior year I could focus on football and then graduate and get on get, get on with it I've always been fascinated uh, so we had we had Leon on Leon O'Neill Jr. on in a previous episode and I was just fascinated by I guess just bound you know balancing just that that time of you know multiple schools um, trying to sell you and you and you're getting to take visits you know, and things you like, what was kind of your, your process, you know, as you're kind of both juggling your season, but also trying to make, you know, this really big decision of where you're going to spend uh, the, re- the rest of your career and trying to weigh the pros and cons of each school that's coming after you. Yeah. You know, I didn't do any of that my senior year, uh, my junior season, we went to a couple games during the season to, um, to watch, you know, either a and or Texas play. Uh, but the majority of my recruiting visits were done in the off season of my junior year. 
I think the recruiting game has changed quite a bit now, uh, actually a ton. Yeah. So NIL, be able to pay guys and then, you know, all the other ability to recruit and get guys on campus and what they're, what they're willing to do that, that has changed quite a bit. Um, so, so I think it was pretty different just over 10 years, much less two decades. You know, I, I was pretty convinced of where I wanted to go. I knew kind of the schools I was interested in and I just verified that on the visit. It really wasn't, I wasn't making up my mind on the visit. I, I wanted to kind of make sure that what I believed to be true, I, I found, you know, those answers whenever I went. So I had some good memories, went on the physical visits to, to A&M, Texas, Oklahoma, and Georgia, and have good memories from all those. I didn't know that, that it was actually Coach Slocum that offered you at first. So obviously that time, that was Slocum's final final year and the transitions to Franchoni in 2003 did that change anything up for you during during that time like did you feel like you had to start over the yeah pro- the process when it came to A&M well originally I, th- I think so but when Fran got the job one of his first days we were actually playing in Kyle Field we were playing Jasper which had Jory Adams and Red Bryant on that team and so Fran was at the game on the field uh, for that. And so, uh, and then after the game, they made sure that they, they found their way to the, to, to our locker room to make sure that, that they knew that they wanted me to be their guy. And so, you know, it didn't take long for them to pick up where Slocum left off. How do you think you mentioned how much recruiting's changed today? How do you think you would have fared in today's world of, you know, social media announcements and, you know, videos and graphics being made and now NIL endorsements. Do you think you would have created something like that when announcing your school? You know, old me likes to think I wouldn't have, but I'm sure all the guys are part of the trend. I'm not a big fan of, you know, respect my decision and these long, you know, I don't like the recruiting process in general. I don't like stars. I don't really care. Uh, you know, when you when you get the, the privilege of playing at all three levels, you realize that where you start in high school really is irrelevant. You just need an opportunity to get to play at the next, at the college level. And then once you're in the college level, you just you got to go out there and earn it. It's a show me game. You're only as good as the next play. And that mentality is really the, the mentality that that pays off for athletes and guys that do and don't make it. You see a lot of five star guys that come into A&M and never really do anything and so then you'll see some that do um, so I think it has to do with the mentality of the player and you know it's unfortunate I think high school kids right now are getting a lot put on their shoulders they're they're being forced to make more and more decisions handle limelight they're 17 18 year old kids and I don't know I, I just feel like there's too much hype and involvement but the reason there is is because there's money there's a, there's attraction there's people that want to know um, and that really care about recruiting and so I think sometimes the victim is the actual athlete himself uh, because it, like we see at South Lake Carroll this year, the senior quarterback doesn't get to enjoy senior football season. A lot of great memories, a lot of great friendships. He's not going to get that now. So I think that there's sometimes the players become the victim themselves or they, you know, just get too big headed and they never fulfill their destiny because they think they've already arrived. So in the wrong guy's hands, that can be a real weapon that can be destructive. Would you have any, you know, from your own experience, even though it's changed, so much would you have any advice you know or just tips for a 16 18 year old kid who's now handling kind of this new this new spotlight and just how to 
balance, you know, being a kid and enjoying this opportunity, but not mm-hmm. being overwhelmed by, <laughs> by the, yeah. by this newfound limelight. You know, it's tough. I, I think the, if I had kids, I think I would remind them out about all the time. The most important thing is they have fun. Second most important thing is that they show up on time and they're committed to their team. That's, that's the number two thing. Number three is, you know, they work really hard. And those are all things that they can control, right? That's, there's no talent required to do any of that. You know, working hard, showing up on time, being committed to your team, you know, finishing what you start. It's so important, no matter what you do. Um, and then doing it with a smile on your face and having a good time. Sometimes guys these days forget that it's a game and you're supposed to have fun. You're supposed to compete and enjoy this process. But the money gets in the way, the limelight, the media, whatever it may be. Uh, and they get distracted. So I think those are the most important things. So you arrive at, arrive at A&M after being in a in an offense where you're setting state state records, and then you come into an option a, a offense that's more spread spread offense and kind of you know misdirection and a lot of a lot of movement. And then before you know it, you're at the end of the freshman year, you know backing up a senior and Reggie, Reggie McNeil, you're all of a sudden in the game, all of a sudden kind of thrown thrown in. Do you remember kind of what the some of the biggest adjustments were for you that first first year, just one, just from coming to high school into the college game, and then also coming, you know, transitioning into a, a whole different offense? Yeah, I think the the big jump from high school to college is, you know, the speed, you know, from Burnham High School to to Big Twelve football. There's quite a difference in athleticism. Um, and then I think just they're at, you're asked to do a lot more. So mentally, there's a lot more, you know, ways in which you can run a defense and, you know, what they ask you to, to do. And so I think that those are the, the big adjustments you have to make. And, um, you know, I never really intended to come to A&M to be an option quarterback. It really wasn't a game plan. I felt like it was something that evolved over time. I think it was an offshoot of what Urban Meyer had some success against us at Utah with Alex Smith. Um, on an opening night Thursday game in 2004, I believe. And some of those concepts tried to bleed into the, the Franchoni system. And I think the, there was a talent gap as well, control the clock, uh, possession football, um, try to limit the amount of possession that these other explosive offenses had because they, you know, they had more ability to score and score quickly. And so um, I, you know, that's kind of the route we went. So um, tried to, to be the best of that as I could, probably didn't have the, ideal skill set to be to be an option guy but it is what it is uh people also aren't aware of this but you also during your time at AM, you were able to become a doctor and uh you even had a breakthrough for fans suffering from what we know as a november aggie depression syndrome you know better known as nads and some of those symptoms include mild to severe grumpiness and delusions of advanced football knowledge um, and you were able to come up with a with a cure called uh, called Grow a Pair, um, which by Texags, if you're able to just delete delete your message and just say I need to grow a pair, um, then you can get <laughs> your solution today. Um, which, by the way, if I'm having a bad day, I I watch that sketch. It is <laughs> I think my favorite thing that Texags has ever has ever done, um, and an amazing performance <laughs> by by you there as Dr. Stephen McGee. Um, but it spoke to it. It spoke to a lot of truth, and I felt I felt like that kind of mentality 
nads as we'll as we'll say uh a part of that did kind of come from the era that uh, that you were a part of and then it kind of led you know was you know followed by the sherman and someone eras and still i feel like still kind of lives today uh, you know um even with successes even past successes and current successes you know i bring that sketch i bring that sketch up because uh because you did kind of i feel like there was some unfair you know, scrutiny on, on the teams during those, during those times. And uh, I was wondering if kind of getting participate in that and being part of it, was that a therapeutic experience for, uh, for you or cathartic to be able to kind of, uh, po- you know, poke fun at that side of fandom? Yeah, it's funny, you know, as an athlete, you're probably a little sensitive post-career for a while. You know, you're still kind of, you've been battered, by the media but then after a while you just you really don't even care anymore you think it's hilarious you kind of jump in and i'm at that stage of life where you know i fully understand why aggie fans were disappointed we didn't win enough football games they wanted to win uh, we weren't getting the job done quarterback and head coach are going to shoulder a lot of that blame it's part of it. it's part of playing the position um and now it's just fun to laugh at it i get it um i I don't disagree with any of it. I, I think that it's uh, it's fun though to jump on and have a good time with it at least, right? You can't you can't laugh at your past, and what can you laugh at? So, Texas does a, a does a great job of being creative and and making light of a lot of those tough Aggie memories, if you will. So yeah, in that 07 year, you know, there's this up you know kind of up and down year, and then in the midst of it, you know, for the you know for those listening that aren't too aware with coach Franchoni, you know, uh, certain, uh, emails were, were released and it became this hot topic that came out. Um, it was eventually kind of what led in, or it was the start of kind of the speculation of, you know, wondering if uh, coach, coach Fran was going to stick around after that season or if the school was going to let him go. Do you remember just as a player, that kind of news coming in and as you're getting closer to the season, kind of, it's almost you know, media wise, you know, that almost kind of takes over, takes over the season as far as just kind of what you're reading and, and seeing it becomes more of just like what's going to happen rather than just uh, how the games are going to go. I do, I do remember seeing things of just signs of support y'all showed as a team forum, but I guess from a preparation mentality and just trying to get ready for, for these games, how did that play? How did that speculation kind of play play into your process? Well, I think you, as an athlete, you're it, when you're preparing, you're always trying to lock in and control what you can control, and you know a lot of the speculation, doubt, all that stuff can can as an athlete have an impact. There's no doubt about it in in your performances and in your focus. And I think good athletes are are certainly uh, more mentally tough than ones that are average or that don't make it. I mean, I think that that's a big component that between the ears factor um, that the Peyton Mannings and the Marcus Wares, the, the guys that are Hall of Famers, they've had to persevere and handle criticism at this point or another. And, you know, as athletes, you got to be able to block out distractions and, and focus in. It's, it's not easy. And that's one of the great life lessons you learn through sports. I can still remember that tech, Texas game because I feel like the news of Fran leaving came, I, th- I feel like it came like right before kickoff, at least from, from us. And it was this really fascinating environment of kind of having that news and then having this big rivalry game. And then it ended up being one of one of your best games 
that I got got to watch. And uh, it felt like a really, uh, I guess from from my perspective, watching it and knowing that news, to me, it felt like a like a nothing to lose type type game. And it felt like that with kind of because you said you had a career high in passing yards that that game. I think there's some there's some trick trick plays involved. It felt like just it felt like the whole bag was kind of let loose that game. Was it was it that way for you all that that evening? Was it kind of like, hey, this is our you know, this is our last game uh, with them. Let's let's have fun with it. Or what was it different from y'all's from y'all's point of view? Yeah, it was. I, I think we were, you know, mentally back against the wall, kind of cornered, nothing to lose mentality. Let's come out and throw our give them our best shot. We were confident going into that game, obviously, because we knew we had beaten them the year before with a lesser talented team. And you know, I think everyone was just frustrated with how that season had gone in general. And so we were ready to roll. That was uh, it was a fun game. I think Fran knew it was his last game, and, and I knew it was his last game. And so we went in there just, uh, let's give her everything we got. Do you have a, I guess, from, from, from those years, do you have a favorite off-the-field uh, off experience with, with the team or, or a teammate that you look back at fondly? Yeah, I mean, there's tons of great memories with guys, locker room, funny stories. I go through a bunch. You know, Mike Sherman's story, I stole his his BMW 750 prior to practice one day, and someone thought it was mine, and I was like, no, but I was like, let me let me, let me see the key fob again. I go, oh, no, that's mine. Yeah, it's mine. I knew it wasn't. And so I parked it in the indoor facility before practice, and I covered it with um, – Posted notes and marshmallows and um, turned the blinkers on and thought it was hilarious. Anyway, in typical Mike Sherman fashion, he never even addressed it, didn't even look at it. <laughs> um, so they finally had to move it out of there so we could practice, and he didn't even give us a smile. He knew what was going on. At the end of practice, he called the team together, and he says, fellas, let me give you a life lesson here. If you're going to do something, go all the way. He's like – to further that, you know, as an example, if you're going to steal someone's car, don't park it in the indoor and turn on the blinkers and put some little things on there. He's like, that's that's what little girls do. He's like, take the car, park it in the middle of University of Texas, throw the keys in the in the in the drain, and then walk off. He's like, that's what a real man does. <laughs> He's like, also know that there's an equal and opposite reaction every time you do something. He said, break it down. So we broke it down and I was the last one in. I was doing something after practice and I was coming around the backside of the facility. At the time, it was the entrance that went into Kyle Field. There's a couple of double doors there. And my car was sitting there with the wheels off and was um, hiked up on cinder blocks. And my car, my tires were in the locker room and guys were taking pictures with them. And I no longer had a locker. My locker had been made over into like Texas university stuff and it was a funny memory that day of in just that short time he was able to respond so quickly have all my car taken apart and it was uh it was pretty fun that's amazing so uh yeah you, yeah the, you mentioned that came during the sherman era and that was uh with coach coach sherman that fi- so that final senior year you're uh you're preparing um you're preparing to go to the in it NFL in that last year was kind of rough within with injuries as, as well what what was the process I guess with that year ending like transitioning from 
ending your college career to now like purely focusing on wanting to go to the draft like what's the relationship like you know with, with the with the school is it something that they're support supporting you and providing what they can to you or is it kind of something you have to be uh, have to do on your own no they were they were great coach Sherman was obviously a, a really key part of my development becoming an NFL guy I think just getting exposed to his system I was disappointed because I was I really transitioned well through his system and felt like we would have been a great fit together that was one of my biggest disappointments was not getting to play a couple years with him I would have been a blast um you know I they were great. Coach Kennedy was like, dude, don't go to California and train with your agents guy. Just stay here. Stay a part of the process that you you've been doing since day one. Why switch that? I was in grad school. I got to finish my graduate degree. So for all those reasons, it was, it was perfect. I stayed there, did all my training and have no regrets about it. Was it difficult? Um, Cause part of that process is, you know, there's uh, agents that are trying to, um, Pick, play, pick players up. Uh, my only experience of that is like documentaries and what and what have you, where you know guys are trying to pick up new like draft draft picks, you know, uh, um, you know, to start that relationship, you know, in the hopes that endorsements happen, you know, or part of the um, their time in the NFL. Um, was that something for you? Because you're in that because uh, as a fourth round draft pick, I imagine that was part of your experience too. Was trying, you know, trying to balance, you know, with you know this new you know, new contract um, coming up and someone who's probably wanting to start, start that kind of business relationship, um, you know, when it comes to this kind of new, new part of your life, was that kind of a difficult part to, uh, to navigate or something that was new to you? Yeah. Yeah. Not really. Our agents are pretty ingrained in that whole process. So I think trading cards are a big one still. And so they, you know, they line all that up with you They get you a shoe deal with like Nike or whoever, you want and so I think most of that stuff's pretty standard and then being that I got drafted to Dallas there was always off the field opportunities um, that people would would put before you um, and all oh, yeah it's just yes or no and so I was never a guy that was going to sign a multi-million dollar deal with Nike or something so I mean it was pretty straightforward all the picks were slotted there wasn't a lot to negotiate there and so it was just a matter of getting the job done let your agent do what he does and you just play ball Right, right. Can you look, uh, look back and kind of compare what the locker room culture was like in the NFL versus what it was at A&M? Yeah, you know, everybody's not. There are there are very few jerks in the NFL. A lot of people ask me, was he a nice guy? Yeah, generally speaking, they were all pretty much nice guys. It was much more business. I don't think the relationships are as deep because you're not around most of those guys for five plus years. You're around them for a year or sometimes weeks. I mean, the locker next to me changed every week for an entire football season. So literally for 17 weeks in a row, there's a new person in there. So it's part of it. I mean, there's guys come and go and it's tough. It's it's as competitive as it gets. Uh, spotlight in Dallas is as bright as anywhere in the world. The media following is, is tough. And so there's just different dynamics. I mean, it's just, you're dealing with, it's a business now as athletes and, and guys get treated and coached differently. So. There's a lot, a lot of differences from college, but um, some, some good stories and good memories. So we have a, not quite recurring, but every now and then we have a little segment on here and it's called uh, Explain Your Receipts. And I promise this is, a, this is all going to be in good, <laughs> in good fun. Um, but we like to bring up a, a moment that we've found on the internet 
to show to show our guest and gain more context on what happened during uh, during these moments. So if you can see, there's one Stephen McGee, and then a <laughs> for our viewers who of course can't see, it's uh, Mr. McGee taking uh, taking a tackle. Uh, he's on the Cowboys, and the Arizona Cardinals bring him down, and then unfortunately, a penalty flag comes into view, and it perfectly goes right into the helmet. <laughs> Um, hitting hitting Steven right in the kisser. <laughs> so I know. It was um, amazing about that. Someone sent that to me after the fact, and I, I don't remember it happening during the game. You don't I remember it? Okay. Yeah, it was almost like I was surprised that happened. Like, I, I don't ever remember a flag going in my face mask, but it did, obviously. But I just – there's just so many things going through my head at the moment that I don't really remember it. You seen that picture or be being told about? Do you remember the play that was going that was going on? No, I don't. <laughs> um, if it's any consolation, I found that uh, I was trying to find a, a picture of the drive, like when you when you got into the end zone and and raised your hand. And, uh, oh yeah, and that was like the result below <laughs> below it. And uh, I just need to know. So thank you for being a good sport. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> about that, I can understand like not remembering because yeah, I feel I feel like in those moments, and I'm, of course, we've talked about just kind of adrenaline taking over. That something like that, I feel like that could just probably breeze, breeze off of you. So I can yeah. understand not even knowing that that <laughs> that that would uh, that, that happened. <laughs> yeah, I I don't remember a whole lot from that from that game um, other than I was just nervous trying to get the snaps from Andre Drog because he snapped the ball on his left cheek as opposed to right down the middle. Uh, when I, uh, um, I, when you watch a show like hard knocks, you know, get those little glimpses of, uh, you know, NFL life. I feel like when you get a little glimpse of what quarterbacks are going through uh, a thing that comes up is the play calls. And I feel like when they call a play call, it's, about as long as the intro I gave as far as yeah. all you have to have to call. Was that, uh, was that something that came easily to you as far as just having to retain that much information or was there a big difference between having to do that with the Cowboys versus what you're doing at A&M? Yeah. I mean, NFL was a whole other level. It, it was, it was absurd. Um, it probably took me a full year to get everything down where I felt confident and I could rattle it off quickly where I felt like I could go in the game and then not have to simplify the playbook, but it was, uh, it's definitely an adjustment, but you know, I spent a lot of time studying it. That was one of my strengths and always has been is kind of the commitment to the game away from there. And so the analytical side was never an issue for me. I got to the point where I felt like I was as knowledgeable as the playbook as more than most of our coaches. And so that, that was not really, um, you know, a struggle for me now for a lot of guys, there's a lot, um, a lot, a lot of information from protections to play call shifts, uh, run pass kills, audibles, sliding, you know, th this way versus this defense, et cetera. I mean, there's a lot going through on a 40 second play. From your time uh, spent in Dallas, who was, you know, whether it be from, you know, preseason game to time in the regular season um, for what you got to experience in person, who, who was a, who was a player that just, was just amazing to watch from a first-person perspective. Yeah, Jason Witten, hands down, he was the best. Uh, I've never seen a player uh, show up every day, be the same guy every day from the way he practiced, the way he prepared, uh, how, he, how he was committed. He wasn't the most talented guy at the tight end position, but he was always 
uh, the best guy at the tight end position. And it was because of his mental approach and, and the way he took care of his business from a physical perspective as well as a mental perspective. He was he was one of the smartest guys I played with and I always admire that about him. Amazing. So you've taken that uh, expertise, expertise that you've learned in the NFL and now you've transitioned to now a time at TechSags where you now have a segment, you know, during the season where you break down, you know, offensive plays, both good and, uh, and the bad. How does the way you see the game now, you know, breaking down and create, you know, creating that content for them? You know, how's that compared to your time? You spend so much time learning and studying football. Um, there's just no way you'll be able to forget all of it. Certainly I don't retain all the things I did whenever I was playing. I don't, I don't need to, but I think from a big picture, um, the basics of football will, will rarely change. Um, the way that they're able to evolve the game will always change, but you know, how you read a smash concept or if you need to handle this pressure or if they bring forward to this side, you're hot. Those types of things will never, never really change. And so, you know, I'm able to, to, I mean, give the average football consumer something that they don't normally think of whenever they watch a football game and hopefully dive into, you know, everyone thinks it's the lineman's fault, but maybe the lineman wasn't supposed to block that guy. Maybe it was the quarterback's fault and or vice versa. So, you know, I try to provide some content for people that they can see the game from a quarterback's eyes or at least an old quarterback's eyes. Um, and we'll see how much longer we can continue. I think we're going to have to, condense that down this year because from a work perspective, I've gotten more and more busy, but uh, I think it'll be around this year and then we'll see what happens in the following. When you're watching a game live, what are things that pop out to you immediately? Like as the play is going on, like, do you notice yeah. a protection ha happening as it's going or? Yeah, I think, I think protection up front, like, Hey, are they going to be hot here? They're bringing pressure. I, I see that. But I think the biggest thing I look for is just a quarterback that plays fast. You, know, you can tell when a quarterback gets the back of his drop, ball comes out quickly. He's throwing the ball with a lot of authority. Uh, he's confident. He knows what he's seeing, trusting his eyes. His feet are fast, and he's, he's just getting the ball on time. I love to see that. That doesn't happen a lot in college football, but that's that's when I know I'm I'm seeing a guy that that's in command. Final Aggie question. Of course, this year, a ton of expectations come on after winning the or Orange Bowl as someone who – Follows the team closely, you know, to where you uh, you analyze it and get to break it down on the TechSag site. What are your own kind of hopes and expectations, you know, for the year ahead? Yeah, I think this is a year where they can they can do a lot uh, as deep as we've ever had. The defensive line, of course, there's McKinley Jackson hurt a little bit, but still a really really deep position. Getting nine of eleven back, great defensive coordinator. Offensively, with Jimbo running the show, you know they're going to be able to to, to compete. Um, I think some question marks in the wide receiver, but all in all, you got a lot of talent right now. I think up to six first round potential picks. Um, I mean, I think now's the time, you know, spin on what happens at quarterback and how good these guys actually do become will, will ultimately dictate whether they are able to compete against a team like Alabama. But I think you have to like their chances. Very nice. Very nice. Well, we're coming down the home stretch. Um, of the podcast and we always like to end with uh, with two questions that we ask each guest so uh here's the first one for you so uh and i'm imagining there will be many to choose from but the first one is what is a moment in your life that made you feel like the coolest person in the world when my wife went on a date with me great answer that was a, 
that was the perfect answer. <laughs> so very nice. And then uh, the uh, oh, where, I guess I should ask where where did y'all go? Uh, Catholic degree in Bryan. Oh man, is that uh, is that still open? Or they, they... I don't. I think so, but I don't. I don't know. So. <laughs> and so I want to say like they changed locations or something, but I know there's every time I go back, it's it's unrecognizable. So. Um, yeah, I wasn't sure. So, but a good, but a very good spot. I remember. So well done. And then uh, our final question is what is the last thing big or small that brought you joy? Uh, I think the encouraging words of a parent, you know, through good, bad, whatever, just uh, knowing that they, they're proud of you. They love you, you know, no matter the, the result um, just for the effort and the, the commitment to the process. I think that's, you know, the words of a parent will last for a lifetime. And so those memories are special. Very good. And I, and I can definitely agree. Definitely agree with that. Well, Steven, thank you very much uh, for your time. Um, thank you for reliving these memories with me and giving me a little inside peek. Um, to what was going on while I was a student watching, <laughs> watching y'all. And, uh, and uh, I hope you may, uh, you know, forgive me for my crazy responses during. No, I love it. I appreciate that. <laughs> during the time, but yes, thank you for, thank you for all the memories you gave us and that you continue to give us um, through, uh, through tech sags. And, uh, and just thank you overall for, for coming on. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you.